I mean, that, that, that actually these conversations are really very unconventional. Because Jesus is not conventional. When he speaks, it's not from a position of convention or of the world or, or what we normally hear. And because of that and the power that he brings, there's, 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 great, there's great power in these conversations to shift us and to move us forward from where we are. And, and that's very exciting. So we're going to be looking at, uh, at the, the way that Jesus speaks. But there's another way in which today, what we're looking at today is quite unconventional again. Uh, and if we can have the, the next slide, please, Paul. And that's because the conversation that we're going to be looking at in today's passage, no one actually says anything to Jesus. So how can you have a conversation where, where only one person is speaking? It's an interesting one, isn't it? And that's because we speak volumes when we don't speak. There's lots going on in here, and there's lots going on in our actions, which actually has meaning and, and is part of, of a conversation with God. And we're, oh, we're actually often speaking to God all the time through what we think and through what we do. And God's very comfortable with that. Jesus is very comfortable with that. Jesus, I mean, primarily, Jesus speaks to us non-verbally. Doesn't he? There are some people who have heard the audible voice of God. Any, anyone here? Brilliant. Cool. Excellent. I'll, I'll have some of that, Annie. I've never heard the audible verse of, voice of God. I've, I've heard the almost audible voice of God, where something just drops and I go, whoa, where did that come from? But Jesus is very comfortable putting thoughts in our minds, putting dreams uh, in our heads while we sleep, giving us pictures, visions, nudges, senses, intuitions. He's very comfortable with the nonverbal. But he'll use the nonverbal too. So he's very comfortable with us being nonverbal with him. Because a lot of our lives, we are actually interacting with God nonverbally. And so it's important to, to notice that the conversations that we have can be nonverbal too. So that relates to where we're at. And this passage that we're going to look at now, it's all nonverbal from the people who are around Jesus. And it's good, something to, to, to watch for now. So we're going to turn to uh, Mark 2 for the uh, passage that we're going to look at now. And Mark 2, uh, verses 1 to 12. What's the page number? 1,003 in one and 708 in, in another. Jesus heals a paralyzed man. I'm going to be reading for the New Living Translation. You're from the, you'll be with the NIV probably. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat down, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, 
What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralysed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Wow, it's amazing stuff. Lots of non-verbals. I don't know if you picked up any of the non-verbals there that were going on. Some of the thought dynamics and faith d- dynamics. I was, inter- uh, I was interested to read actually earlier, earlier this month that Facebook is now building technology to read your mind. Did you know that? So not only do we have to watch what we actually put down uh, when we're typing, we actually have to watch what we're thinking when we're typing. So uh, apparently it's financing research taking place at the University of California, San Francisco, and scientists there have published the results of a study, which they say they've built an algorithm that's able to decode words from brain activity and translate it into text on a computer screen in real time. Wow. Can you imagine that? So apparently that they did it with three, uh, three volunteers who, who had epilepsy and they already had electrodes surgically implanted on the surface of their brains as part of their preparation for ne- neurosurgery. Um, but they asked them straightforward questions and the algorithm read their brain activity, decoded the words, put it up, and then th- they said, oh yeah, that's, what I, yeah, that's right, that's, that's correct, that's what I was thinking. And they got it right 61% of the time. That's scary, isn't it? That's scary. Somebody being able to read your thoughts. Jesus. The psalmist says to Jesus, to the Lord, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Jesus is 100% right. He gets it all right. And Jesus is loving. So he knows all the thoughts we have. And he loves us. The good ones, the good thoughts, the bad thoughts, the strange thoughts. It's okay. Jesus loves us. And that's the wonderful thing about Jesus and the not wonderful thing about Facebook. And I'd rather have it that way around. So Jesus is here understanding the non-verbals that are all around him, but his heart is to bring his kingdom and to bring restoration to everyone there. And it doesn't matter whether we say it out loud or we say it in our hearts. He's there to try and bring us into the fullness of life, which he does brilliantly in this passage in Mark 2. So next slide, please. So what we're going to focus on here is people who are stuck. And this passage is full of people who are stuck. You have the teachers of the law who are stuck. You have the owner of the house who is stuck. And you have the paralyzed man with his friends 
who's stuck. They're all stuck, but Jesus sees their hearts and he knows them and he loves them and he's trying to bring them life. And perhaps the big difference between these different sets of people who are stuck is that the paralyzed man, he knows he's stuck. He needs help and he knows where to go. The others don't necessarily know it. And so Jesus has to bring life to them too in different ways. Because the first point is, are we stuck? Are there things in our lives that are, they've just locked us in and we need to get unstuck? And Jesus, I believe Jesus today wants to do business in these areas to unstick us, to bring us freedom, to bring us the fullness of abundant life that he can promise us. Okay, can we go to the next slide, please? So, the first thing that we can be stuck is in our thinking. And this is very much where the teachers of the law were. They were stuck in their thinking. And Mark 1 and Mark 2 is all about the kingdom of God breaking out. Jesus ushering in a new realm. Something radically different from what had come before. And actually, God hadn't really, before John the Baptist, God really hadn't given any fresh revelation to the nation of Israel for hundreds of years. So the teachers of the law had kind of fallen back on convention and tradition and ritual. And that's what they were safe with. And sometimes we can do that too. If we haven't had a fresh encounter with God, we can fall back on familiar things, on tradition and on convention. But it's not life-giving. And Jesus has to break in here with a new way of teaching to radically offer something different. So, so, so there's a clash here. There's a clash of cultures. Jesus is bringing a new way of thinking, but the teachers of the law are stuck in their old ways. And it's so important that, I mean, Jesus takes it really seriously. I, I, I don't think Jesus is trying to expose the religious teachers here and to shame them. I think he's trying to open them up to show them the power of the kingdom. That's why he, he brings their thoughts out openly. He wants to show them the power of the kingdom and that they too can be part of it. He wants them as teachers to be able to bring the goodness of the kingdom into other people's lives. So there's a question, who are we taught by? Are we taught by Jesus or are we taught by convention and tradition and history and the way things have always been? And what do we teach do we teach Jesus or do we pass on those other things that don't give life? So there's a battle for our minds here. And uh, I don't know, are there any Trekkies here? Any people like Star Trek? Paul, yeah, come on, come on, you mean Paul. Yeah, Sharon, yeah. Okay, so this might be a little bit old for some of you, perhaps revealing my age here with the greys. These three guys are at the bottom here, anybody know who they are? We've got Spock, Mr. Spock. James T. Kirk, Captain James T. Kirk. And the other guy? Scotty. No, it's not Scotty. <laughs> Dr. 
Bones McCoy. That's right. So we've got Spock, we've got Captain Kirk, and we've got Bones. Each of them, each of them has a different way of reacting to information around them. Okay? They lead off, off a different style. Now, Mr. Spock, what does he lead off? Logic. Logic. Cool logic. Rational thinking. Okay? And about Bones, Dr. McCoy. Emotion, that's right. Oh, oh, it's all panic stations. Oh, what are we going to do? And how about James T. Kirk? What does he do? He does what? Cool and calm. No, actually, he's a risk taker. He's bold. He tries to rewrite the rules. He's a bit of a risk taker. How do we, what's our reaction to Jesus' words? Is it a logical thing? Is it an emotional thing? Or is it a risk-taking thing? Mm. Mm. Very good. Have you got something from God? Good. That's cool. That's all right. That's all right. God bless you. Sorry? Yeah, no, no. I'm just wondering what to... Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the people that this place is a remarkable place. And the people react to it because they sense the Spirit of God and they need to react. And Lord, I just pray for that that man. I just pray that you would help him to seek your kingdom, to come into the fullness of it, get to know Jesus, to give his life to Jesus, and to be totally transformed. And I, I thank you, Lord, for the boldness that he had in responding And I just pray that you might channel that towards your good purposes in Jesus' name. Okay. I think sometimes the words of Jesus can be very challenging to us and they provoke a response like we just saw there. Uh, And we have to be careful not to be like the Pharisees and and to cut it off because our reasoning and our logic is not spirit informed. And sometimes also, we have to be careful with our emotions, not to be too emotion-led. Our emotions can be a good thing, but just sometimes we, we need to part those things because the Spirit of God would speak things into our heart that perhaps we're not sure whether that makes sense or perhaps we're not sure how we feel about it, but it is the truth. And so Jesus speaks here. So, so the, the, the point of the three characters is that sometimes we have to take a bit of a risk. We have to be like James T. Kirk.
we have to just park some of our intellectual objections or some of our emotional fears and actually take the risk because God, God is speaking into our lives. Um, and and uh, I think there was a really, um, a really interesting uh, character who I, uh, I knew in, in Bangladesh, Debs and I knew in Bangladesh, a guy called Ed Wheeler. And Ed and Anne had been missionaries uh, in Bangladesh for over 20 uh, odd years. And, and he, he said to me something which I thought was really, really good. He, he said, sometimes you'll get parts of scripture which, um, which you can't quite, it's quite difficult to understand exactly what they mean or, or they kind of create trouble in you. So you, you, you're reading along and then suddenly this thing gets you. Um, and, and, and he said, it's good to wrestle with that, but, but ultimately to give it to God. You know what God's character is. You know that he is loving. You know that he's kind. You know that he's good. You have to take that scripture in that context. So, just, so what you do in that thing, time is you doff your cap. You know you haven't had revelation for, for about that particular point yet, but you know you can trust God that the revelation and the faith and the goodness will come and that you'll get there. So don't let it stumble you and trip up everything and destabilize you. So sometimes when we hear words from Jesus that, that, can, that, that may cause us to, 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 to be confused, we just need to give it back to God, say we trust you, we love you, we know that your revelation will come, we know that you will break through into our, 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 our understanding. Even when our, when our thought patterns aren't necessarily from you, we know we can trust you with them and you will give us life and, and healing in that. Okay, let's move on to the next slide, please. So we can be stuck in our thinking. We can also be stuck in our lifestyles. And what's very interesting here is the owner of the house. And, and you can imagine what maybe some of the conversation was before that Jesus had had with the owner of the house. Maybe the owner of the house was thinking, great, I've got Jesus here. He's going to be in my house. I'm going to just let him come and do his thing. And everyone's going to know it's in my house. It's really special, this. So I'm going to own this. And then Jesus comes in, and five minutes later, you've got dust coming through the roof, you've got noise, you've got mess everywhere, you've got people knocking over all the ornaments, and suddenly there's a great big hole in your roof. And suddenly what you thought was going to be good for you and your house has made a total mess. And actually, that's actually how Jesus and our lives often interact. We kind of think that we can own Jesus and we can contain him and we can say thanks Jesus you can come into my job you can come into my ministry you can come into my family my friendships my whatever it is my pastimes and, and you can be there and you can watch and you can cheer me on but it's on my terms but what Jesus does here is he punches a huge great hole in the roof and sometimes Jesus needs to do that. Because, to be honest, it wasn't ours in the first place. It's always been his. And sometimes he needs to let the light of heaven flood in. So we can see it as a hole in the roof, or we can see it as a major architectural advance. Skylights for Jesus. Which will it be? 
And what's lovely later is the owner of the house gets past his problems with the hole in the roof when he sees what's about to happen. So God is only going to mess up your plans, your ministry, your job, whatever it is, because he's about to do something brilliant. That's a really important thing to hold on to. Because, and this is an important thing to hold on for, to, to, for me, because in the last couple of months, those who know me will know that I didn't get that job. I didn't get that promotion. I really wanted it. And I was gutted when I didn't get it. And, and it, it, it's, it's interesting, really. I, I, um, so I'm trusting that this is what God is doing. And uh, I, I had a picture the, the, the other day. Well, I didn't have a picture. I was out in the garden. And I looked at, the, at an apple tree. And I remember advice that I got with apple trees um, is that if you have more than two apples on any prong, you should take the rest off because otherwise the other apples won't grow properly and you stress out the tree so it becomes completely unproductive in the next year. That's why, that's why if you have apple trees and they alternate good years and bad years, that's because they're trying to bear too much fruit in the one year and it doesn't make it sustainable. And I felt God speaking to me about this. I'm cutting that off. I'm pruning you so that you can be fruitful and sustainably fruitful. Not pleasant, but it is good, and it will lead to amazing things. So sometimes the skylight has to come in. It's not what I would ask for, but I trust God is very good. Okay, next slide, please. And then sometimes we can be stuck in our circumstances. We don't know exactly why the paralyzed man wanted to get to Jesus. Was it because of the sins? Was it for healing? We don't know. But what we do know is that he had four excellent friends. What I like to call four sunflower friends. People who can stand tall in the heat of the day and be resilient and focused on God and strong. And we all need friends like that. And I've got friends like that in this congregation and when I've been through my little journey over the last few weeks they've been strong I've been weak and I hope in time that I can be a sunflower friend to them that I can be strong when they go through their stuff because we all Christianity is a team sport we need we can't be strong all the time we need each other we are part of the body of Christ we are one we need that we need that strength. And there's, um, there's a, a lovely uh, translation. The Passion Translation puts Matthew 11, verse 12 as this. From the moment John stepped onto the scene until now, the, the realm of heaven's kingdom is bursting forth and passionate people have taken hold of its power. And what we need is passionate people who will take hold of the kingdom of God for us when we're stuck in our circumstances, who are passionate enough and faithful enough to break through the roof on our behalf. And actually, a lot of these conversations that we've seen over the summer 
are about someone intervening for someone else. So the four friends here helping the paralyzed man get to Jesus. We also saw Mary at the wedding uh, at Cana in, in Galilee intervening for the hosts of the wedding. We saw the centurion intervening for his servants. We need to be used to intervening for each other, to help each other out, to move each other on. So on behalf of, can we work on behalf of others? Can we interact? Can we be strong, sunflower friends, for others? Because we all need that. Great. Next slide, please. And then a very interesting thing that I love about this passage is that everybody, when it gets to the end, everybody is just delighted and amazed by this miracle. They're chuffed to bits. Even the people who had the intellectual objections, even the owner of the house, his house is messed up completely. They're all delighted. And the question is, can we, can we be like that too? Can we share in the delight when God does amazing things? Can we share? Can we celebrate that? Or are we a little bit scared to celebrate the good things of God? Are we concerned that we might look like an idiot or a religious fanatic? Are we scared of what other people will think? Because I believe there are so many good things that God is doing here that we can share. And what you do by sharing it is you relive it, you recreate it, you extend the kingdom of God, you build faith. And other people think, oh, well, that's exciting. You just got a job. Wow. And it happened in amazing ways. Maybe I can, maybe that's going to happen to me too. Oh, come on, God. And, and we get this snowball effect by sharing the miraculous, by sharing good stories then we become a people who can share and celebrate and we become uh, a people whereby God is just, is just enjoying blessing us and we're enjoying his blessing. And it creates a really positive culture. Rather than a culture which is about you know, a bit of negativity or this, that and the other. So can we be a people who are amazed? and delighted, and celebrate each other, and celebrate the victories that God can bring us. That's a, a question for us. Okay, and last slide, please. Okay. So how are you doing? How are you doing? Are you like Winnie the Pooh? Stuck in the hole. You ate too much honey. Now, I don't know. Maybe it was your fault. Maybe it wasn't your fault. Are you stuck? Do you need Jesus to speak to you today? Maybe you're only realizing that you're stuck, maybe in your thinking, maybe in your lifestyle, maybe in your circumstances. Maybe you need to park your objections, that, that overactive brain, that overactive brain which is stopping you receiving the revelation of the kingdom of God pray for peace for you. Maybe you need to hand your lifestyle over to Jesus and let him kick a few holes in it because amazing things will happen when he does that. 
maybe you need those four friends. And I just pray for you today that God would provide them for you, open your eyes to see them around you. Or maybe you're kind of stuck in your sin. That's how you feel today. Maybe you feel, I've blown it. I've blown it one too many times. That's it. I've, I've run out of room. And the news for you today is you are forgiven. You are so forgiven. Jesus forgives you. And you need to know that. And one of the, the challenges of, uh, particularly for people who haven't been Christians for that long, is, is they hear that they're forgiven, but it doesn't settle here. And, and they're concerned by it. And Father, we pray today that people would really know the revelation of the full forgiveness for anything they have done. I pray for the miracle of revelation. That if you've been struggling with this, with this you can go away with 100% certainty that you are totally free and that you can walk tall in that. And... If it takes, because of course forgiveness of, of sins by one measure is kind of unver, unverifiable, you know, I don't know, whereas other miracles are quite verifiable. So I, I pray just as the, the healing of the paralyzed man happened, I just pray there would be other miracles too for you that would confirm the power of God at work and also that your sins are forgiven. So let's pray now. Father, thank you that, that before a word is on our lips, you know it. You know the thoughts of our hearts with 100% accuracy. And you love us. And you long to shift us. Lord, we just give you our thoughts. We give you our lifestyles. We give you our circumstances. And Lord, we even give you our feelings of shame and discouragement. And Lord, speak. Speak into our lives now and transform us so that we might get up, pick up our mat and go home into all that you have for us, into all that you have designed for us, and all you have planned for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.